It's time for the Luca Rosano Show. Here's your host, Luca Rosano. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Luca Rosano Show. And I'm honored to be joined by this week's guest, multiple-time broadcast award winner, author, and host, James Duthie of TSN. James, how's it going, man? So this, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, good, uh, good to hear from you, buddy. It's been a while since I've seen you. I love your, uh, love the background there. Congratulations on the show, and thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'm not too sure if you remember me, but just to give uh, my viewers some context, so I was an intern for TSN probably about five years ago. Wow, time flies. And I remember I had emailed James asking him if he could meet up with me. I just wanted to pick his brain and ask him some questions. I mean, he's been a guy who I've looked up to all my life in the broadcasting world, and I, I didn't think much of you getting back to me. So I was very surprised and, and happy when you did reply. And you said, yeah, for sure, I'll meet up with you. So we met up in the TSN lobby, picked right your brain. Lobby. I remember well, bud. Yeah, you, you, you answered all my questions, and you gave me some great advice that I still use to this day. So uh, I just want to thank you for that. And once again, thank uh, you for coming on here. No, no problem whatsoever. Uh, I always say, like, I was you once, right? And, and so anybody who can't give uh, five minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is to someone who, who uh, has an interest in this business, uh, I don't understand why you wouldn't. So uh, I'm, I'm glad we got together and I'm glad you're still doing this in some form. I do want to ask about uh, your beginning and your interest in broadcasting. Did you always want to be a sports broadcaster from a young age? I don't think so. I, I think that it was somewhere at the back of my mind that I, I wanted to be an athlete. I think most sportscasters originally wanted to be an athlete, right? Yeah. At some point you did, right? You thought you were going to the NHL or the NBA or whatever it is. The NBA, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, for me it was football. Like I was delusional enough and I was like late delusional. It wasn't like nine years old. I believed until my last year of high school that I was going to play in the NFL and not the NFL, the CFL, which is ludicrous because I was, you know, 5'10", 160 pound, <laughs> defensive back on my football team and I thought I was going to play for the Niners which is just insane but uh, I think that probably somewhere in the back of my mind I thought about broadcasting because I did you know I used to I remember you know 14 15 years old turning down the TV and doing my own play-by-play which I think we've all done anybody who uh, wanted to have an interest in the in, in the business and so I never necessarily thought that but I think somewhere deep in my mind I said you know, I'd like to be that guy. And there wasn't necessarily, you know, a Dave Hodge or, a, you know, Ron McClain or someone. I remember Bob Costas used to do the halftime shows on the NFL on NBC. And I think maybe he was the guy that I said, oh, man, that would be a cool job to do the halftimes of the NFL games. I love hockey and everything, but uh, I, I, I think he was probably the one guy that made me think I'd, I'd like to be a broadcaster. So then you obviously went to school for it. How did you get your big break with TSN? Well, that's a complicated story, and I won't, I won't bog down your podcast. But uh, I was a news reporter for a bunch of years in Ottawa. I did journalism at Carleton, got his job as a news reporter, covered fires and murders and all those things. And I learned a lot from that. And anybody who's listening who wants to be a broadcaster, and I probably told you this when, I, when we met together, is I recommend doing news if you can't get a job in sports just because – it teaches you so much more about the business and how to be a good reporter and broadcaster. I don't think I would have done well at TSN if I hadn't been a news reporter before. 
but I always wanted to do sports. And the negativity of news really grinded away at me. And uh, the short version of the story is that Keith Pelly, who's now the head of the European Golf Tour, used to be the head of TSN, saw me doing a live hit from an Ottawa Senators game, the opening night of the building in Ottawa, which was then called, I think, the Palladium or the Corral Center. And uh, he phoned me, got a hold of my name and number somehow. And I remember picking up the phone. He goes, I really like your jeans. And I go, what? That's like the creepiest thing a guy has ever said. <laughs> and when I did the live hit, I had a suit and I had a jacket and a shirt on, but I wore jeans. And I guess he was taken aback by how casual I looked and thought that was a, <laughs> that's what struck him. So wow. of all the things, my decision to wear jeans on that day when he happened to be watching that first night of the Senators uh, got me an, in, uh, an audition at TSN. And uh, wow. I actually didn't get the job when I did my audition. Uh, but I took a job in Vancouver, moved out there, and six months later they called me and offered me a position at TSN. So That's amazing. The breaks come in the strangest ways, right? I think the lesson here is always pick jeans over dress pants if you have the choice. Yeah, yeah I'm sure anybody with style in class would say that's horrible. But uh, I probably wore jeans that day because I didn't think I was going to be on from the waist up, which is something a lot of people in television do, anchors when they're behind a desk. I still do it at TSN. But in the end, I was doing this is on camera where I was walking around giving a tour of the dressing room so you could end up seeing me. So I probably got in trouble with my boss but ended up getting a job at TSN because of it. That's a crazy tale. Uh, James, I have a strong Raptors following on this channel, so I actually want to start with uh, you covering the team during the uh, 2019 NBA Finals. Um, you got to obviously you know get up and close with all the Raptors during that time. Uh, how was it experiencing that and, and seeing the team win it all? Yeah, Luke, it was awesome. Uh, I was thinking, somebody asked me, I was doing a book tour last fall about my favorite moments of my career. And I always say the Crosby, you know, 2010 Olympics and the Crosby goals, probably number one, because that was just such a moment for Canada. But man, the Raptors and covering that run to the championships got to be right there at two or three. Uh, a lot of people, my first job at TSN when I did get hired was to host CFL and NBA. So I hosted NBA for the first my first three years at TSN. I don't think anybody uh, your age probably remembers that. Uh, I broke in the same time Vince Carter broke in. So it was a really very cool time and experience. I would covered the slam dunk contest in Oakland uh, where Vince, which is still legendary, another one of the greatest moments of my career, the electricity in the building that night was unreal. So I felt like my career was coming full circle when I got was lucky enough to cover the Raptors run last year and uh, it was just so surreal because I guess that I'm kind of a negative guy when it comes to teams that I want to see win and I'm, I'm a neutral broadcaster when I cover an event like that but I wanted the Raptors to win let's face it you yeah. want to be part of that and I kept thinking there's no way they were going to win even though you knew they had a chance and when they got up three to one those those two games in Oakland which I'll still never forget like really you know, I think it rattled all of us, right, to go in there and win both those games. And when it was 3-1 to one and thinking this might actually happen, and then when they lost in Toronto, going back for game six, and uh, even with the injuries to Durant, and, and then Clay goes down, but I, I still thought something's going to go wrong. And, <laughs> uh, you know, Danny threw that ball away late, and Steph had a chance to win it with a three, and the negative side of me is like, oh, they're going to lose this and find a way to lose game seven or something. And so when they won, 
I was so shocked. I hadn't been that shocked and happy as a fan in a long time. And I had to gather myself right away and, and broadcast because we had to go on two minutes later and do a three-hour post-game show where I got to interview Masai and Fred Van Vliet and all these guys. And it was, it was really a re re remarkable experience, um, the entire thing. Just to, to be on that court and to see the scenes back in Canada, you're, you know, you're kind of isolated. You're on that court with an earpiece in watching the monitor and you're seeing these hundreds of thousands of people on the streets of Toronto and right behind you, the Raptors are popping champagne. It was, those are the moments that are the reason I got into this business, right? Yeah. Is to be able to, to be there for moments like that, that I'll probably tell the grandkids about. So it was, it was, it was really, really cool to be a part of. And I also want to say, you know, I have a weird job because I do hockey and most people probably identify me as a hockey guy, but um, I do a bunch of other things. I cover the masters and the super bowl and the gray cup and, and big events like the NBA finals and Rod Black and Leo and Jack Armstrong. Like it's sometimes awkward for me to, those guys have been covering the sport for years and I walk in at the last second to help them with the, with the final and they could not have been more welcoming. Uh, Matt Devlin, and Leo and Jack and Rod, we went out for dinner together the first night in San Francisco at this restaurant. You know, they're treating me like part of the team. So I can never thank those guys enough for doing that, right? Because they could easily say, what the hell is this hockey guy doing here <laughs> at the NBA final? But the, those guys are fantastic dudes. And obviously, you look at Toronto, it's always been a hockey city. Maple Leafs have always, you know, come first. Right. Um, and, and they probably could still come first, even though the Raptors have won the championship. But you, yeah, you broke in when Vince Carter broke in. And that's when basketball was starting to become more popular in the city of Toronto and in the country of Canada. Uh, what's, what's been your take on the evolution of the popularity of basketball uh, here in the city of Toronto specifically? Yeah, it's been something to watch. And I think that Vince Carter era has so much to do with it. And you, the, you know, the string of Canadians that have been taken high in the draft and that are now key players in the NBA... I think that all comes back to that sort of Vince Carter generation. And so I'll say this. You're right about the Leafs, and they still get more coverage on TSN. But although when the Raptors are hot, it's pretty close now. And that would have never happened years ago. When I started hosting NBA on TSN in those early years, you know, the Raptors might get an audience of 50,000 for a game, and the Leafs were getting a million or whatever. And when the Raptors started to go on that run – you know, the numbers got, you know, sort of even and surpassed by basketball. And I think that says a lot. And I will say this as well. I don't think if the Leafs ever win the Stanley Cup, and many hockey fans will argue this with me, I do not think you will see a celebration like the Raptors celebration. Interesting. Because there is something different about the Raptors and the way they bring in, uh, you know, every ethnicity and every neighborhood in Toronto and around Toronto and, and really Canada. I... That scene of that parade, which which again I got to cover, and that was that's a whole other story, but I don't think you'll see that. I think the least would be an unbelievable celebration, but I don't think you will see a scene like that where every single skin color and again like sort of neighborhood of Toronto was represented down there, and I think that's what make made it and makes basketball extremely special. Yeah, and you look at the Raptors, uh, you know, they're, they're Canada's team. So you had everybody all over Canada coming for that. Whereas for if, the, sure. if the Leafs win, it's just going to be, you know, the Toronto, the Toronto fans thing. and other yeah, people. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. Everybody, 
you know, you get this Canada's team BS when there's one, one Canadian team left in the playoffs. But the truth is we're seven different hockey nations. And, and they hate the rest mostly, right? Especially exactly. in the Canadian division. Whereas the Raptors really did bring the country together almost like a Team Canada or an Olympic basketball team or whatever that may be. And I think that's what made it so, so amazing. Let's shift to the Leafs now. What's been your reaction to their, their hot start? And do you think they can keep it up and make some noise ultimately this season? I don't see why not. Uh, I mean, the Habs look really good. Uh, and besides that, they're, look, the West is kind of a – I think Calgary will be okay because they have great goaltending. And then Vancouver's got more – better than they are right now because they have more talent. Edmonton's still a crapshoot every time, basically. I don't think McDavid and Dreisaitl can overcome all the holes they have. And so – to me, it looks like Toronto and Montreal with the asterisk that if, you know, somebody gets hot goaltending like Calgary with Markstrom in a playoff run, who knows, right? Or Winnipeg, Hellebuck could stand on his head. So it's always a crapshoot when you get to those playoffs. But this is the best that the Leafs have looked in my era covering the Leafs. Now, granted, that's through whatever we are, 10 games of the season or whatever. But this... This is the most complete they've looked. Yeah, you know, still some scars here and there, and some issues, but certainly better than the versions we've seen in the last three years. Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner look, you know, like on a different level. There's no nights off anymore, right? They look like superstars every single night, and so I think there's real potential there. I'm not ready to sit here and declare that they're going to win the Stanley Cup, but this is their captain obvious statement their best chance to to make that run finally yeah and i, I made a joke on twitter that uh, looks like the leafs stole the raptors talent from last year with the way they've been you know having themselves a nice start to the season and the raptors have been going the other way but there's there's still obviously plenty of time for the raptors to turn it around so yeah absolutely but it happens like that right and maybe it's the leafs turn this year uh there's certain things that i think for whatever reason the canadian division might help the Leafs, that, you know, there was always something about, uh, obviously, Boston, if they face them, and, and last year, Columbus, you know, Columbus has that ability with Torts to be able to pull it off over a short series, and and I say one thing about Torts, he's an unbelievable motivator, and I think that, you know, this Canadian division and playing all these teams all year, I don't think that when we get to the first round or the division finals that... Maybe there's going to be that, I don't know if intimidation is the right word, but uh, that thing hanging over the Leafs' head as much as there have been in past years. And so, uh, like I said, I think this is, the, the window's right there for them. And if you get to that final four, like, you know, all, all bets are off, right? I think that we've always said with the Leafs that if they can get past the hump, that yeah. they could do amazing things. And I think this year that could really be said. Like, if they can just win that first round, they're probably going to be playing, you know, the Oilers or the Canucks or something in the first round. If they can just get past that, then I think there's a real possibility they could do some damage. But let me ask you this, and maybe you're, this is a question to ask your, your viewers and listeners. You want the Leafs to win the Stanley Cup this year? If there's no fans in the building, if they don't figure that out? Because that, I have a good buddy of mine who's a diehard Leafs fan. He's like, I do not want them to win this year. I do not want my once in a lifetime to happen in these circumstances. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, I agree. And, I would you know, have to agree. Hopefully we'll have the world sorted out by July so you can have a celebration. You know, there will at least be people in the streets, but I'm not sure that it would be a full building in Toronto. Uh, I don't think we're going to be there with the vaccines yet. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure Leaf fans would take a title, any title, but I'm sure there's part of them that would say, man, maybe just next year when, when it's yeah, back yeah. to normal, that would be awesome. Yeah, like I'll flip it because I'm a diehard Raptors fan. If you had told me, okay, the Raptors win the championship in 2019 with no fans, I, yeah, I would probably maybe wait, you know, like finally yeah. getting that moment. I want to experience it with the fans. It'd be weird if you couldn't go out and celebrate properly if, you know, your your team yeah. that you've been watching for so long finally wins it all. So it's a very good question. Yeah, you can't be picky. I can remember the game six with the Raptors. Sorry, game five. They won in six, right? They won in yeah. yeah. So game five in Toronto, uh, I got to bring all my kids, uh, uh, smuggled them into our TSN suite with me. And I really wanted them to win for them to be there for that. Cause that's a story you tell for a lifetime. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so, and so I was so disappointed when they lost that game in the last few minutes, Yeah. but in the end, you know, who cares? Right. Maybe yeah. The next game yeah. That, go. That's funny. Uh, I was there with my brother actually at the game and, uh, like we had it in the bag and then Clay Thompson goes on a rampage by himself. Yeah. And then we're sitting there like, how do we lose this game? We were ready to go celebrate in Toronto, you know, championship one in the city. That would have been amazing, but Hey, we'll take the it championship been, anyway. Yeah. We, who cares? We'll take it. Right. Yeah. We'll take it. We won't be too spoiled here. Uh, yeah. James, I do want to, I, I do want to talk about the Super Bowl with you now. Uh, cause you're obviously a big football fan. Um, you've covered a couple of these things over the years. Is there a favorite moment or, or memory uh, that you'd like to share with us? Uh, well, I think the first ones are always special. My first Super Bowl was 2002. It was the one after uh, 9-11, which made it really interesting. The security was insane. The first time our world had changed. So, you know, you had, it took an hour to get into the building. and It's been like that ever since. Uh, U2 performed at halftime and I'll never forget that it was right after you know it was the first Super Bowl after September 11th and I think they played where the streets have no name and uh, and put the names of all the victims flashed on the dome so I remember getting you know goosebumps from that and then the game itself was Brady's first Super Bowl and quick story uh, I was we were doing our hits we had a little TSN set and you know, ESPN was just down from us, Chris Berman and the boys back then. And Brady was walking sort of towards me, all the people around him. And he caught my eye. And I said, could you come do a thing with us, right? TSN Canada. And he nodded yes. Wow. And I'm like, crap, I'm going to get Tom Brady and just won the Super Bowl. And he started towards me and like the PR person kind of shoved him. And the crowd just carried him away. Uh. And he kind of looked over his shoulder and gave me one of these, right? <laughs> and so I remember always being bitter that I didn't get the, the Tom Brady interview after he won his uh, first Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, didn't have any idea at that time that the career would be what it is now. And I've covered, I think this is my eighth Super Bowl and my seventh Brady Super Bowl. So uh, he's been a part of all those things. So that's the big one. And I, I guess the other one would be... Um, the one that they came back against the Falcons on just because uh, it was just so surreal. You, you know, this a little bit from being in TV, but there's a lot of planning when you come on TV and do your post game show, it looks like you're just shooting the breeze, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of planning that goes into it. Okay. Jesse Palmer wants to talk about this and Jabari Greer wants to talk about this and we have to get our video ready. And so we had planned out everything 
talking about how the Falcons had finally, you know, beaten Belichick and Brady. And we have to go, we have to leave the stands and go down under the building a few minutes early to get ready to go onto the field to do our live shot. And so we were stuck kind of in the bowel of the building looking at the TV on this little monitor with about eight minutes left in the game. And it all started to fall apart. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I still can't. If, if, if you watch that game again, literally almost every single play had to go the Patriots' way for like that last quarter, right? Yeah. When you have that big a lead, every single thing has to go wrong. And every single thing went wrong for the Falcons. And it's just, it's, it's unbelievable that they pulled this one off. And I just remember looking at Jesse Palmer and going, I just, this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Is that, that they've blown this. And then that the Patriots have come back, give them credit. But so that was to me sort of the most surreal Super Bowl moment of them all. Yeah, I, I still can't believe the Falcons blew that lead. Like that's I don't think that's ever gonna get topped in, in any sport in that capacity. That's yeah, that's textbook. There's twenty-five joking. plays. You could go back and count maybe I'm exaggerating. Twenty plays that if they go the Falcons way, that that game doesn't end that way. Right? Yeah. There's one first down here, one first down there, one better call here, and the Patriots will never have enough time to tie the game up. So wow. unbelievable. Let's get your thoughts on the big game, Super Bowl 55. You got the GOAT taking on the baby GOAT. What do you expect in this game? And um, do you think if Brady beats Mahomes, he cements himself as the GOAT for at least the next couple of decades? Or if you think Mahomes beats Brady, Mahomes could have a chance to uh, surpass Brady's legacy with the way he's been, you know, playing. I don't think that, like in this day and age, that you can win five or six I think Mahomes could win like four or something. He's unbelievable. But I think Brady's legacy as the GOAT is is safe. But if he wins this, you could start making an argument as, you know, forget greatest quarterback of all time, but greatest football player of all time, greatest athlete. Like, that starts to get in the conversations. Like, this is – and he's already won, right? Getting to the Super Bowl, like separating from Belichick and getting to the Super Bowl – I think is already enough in yeah. many ways, but but he'd certainly like to win it. I'm really lousy at predictions. I think that the Chiefs are going to win. Um, I'll say this: I, every you know, the one thing about Brady and the certainly in the Patriots days, all this they played great Super Bowls, right? They when they won, when they lost, it was almost always dramatic. The last one against the Rams was crappy, boring game right till the end, but it was still close to yeah. the last drive. But Every Patriots Super Bowl almost came down to the last drive, win or lose. And so I think they'll definitely, it'll be a close game. Like I said, I'm going to take the Chiefs just because I just think they're too hard to stop. Uh, But I have no real, uh, you know, I'm not really confident in that choice. I mean, I'm going to go with my Brady bias here. I'm going to pick the Bucks to win. I know it's unthinkable to, you know, have Brady win it all in his first season with the Bucks. You know, they're going to be the crazy. whole team, which so is crazy. crazy. But I think I think they're going to do it. I think Brady's going to do it. And then, yeah, you're going to talk about, can this guy maybe hit 10, which he probably won't. But it's crazy how he's still going strong from that yeah. that day that you saw him in the tunnel. <laughs> like, and you know what? Like, we, we will, um, at the beginning... I would say around my third or fourth Patriots Super Bowl, 
I was a little bit bitter and sour. Like it's it's hard to come up and talk about the same stories every single year and go to the Belichick news conferences. And I think fans kind of feel the same way, right? We all got sick of it a little bit. If you weren't a Patriots fan, oh frig, it's Brady again, it's Patriots again. But I, I do believe that when we look back on this, that we will think, man, we witnessed like, you know, when you have kids in 10, 15, 20 years and they're growing up watching NFL and they go, how the hell did Tom Brady make it to 10 Super Bowls or 11 Super Bowls or whatever it ends up being? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's crazy, right? It's yeah. mind-boggling. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that there is something in witnessing history, being alive to witness, you know, the greats like that. And yeah. I do think 100 years from now that this won't be repeated. And so uh, I think that's a cool part of, uh, in being – alive at a time to, to witness Brady doing this. Yeah, I agree with that. It's appreciating greatness. It's like the whole LeBron James thing. I'm a Raptors fan. You know, we're Raptors fans. But just seeing LeBron try to chase and one day maybe pass MJ is is great to see. Yeah. And the same with Brady. We're never going to see this thing again or for a very long time. So I agree. I agree. Uh, James, before we get out of here, got one last segment I want to run with you. Rapid fire questions. Okay. All right. First one here. How did you come up with the name Rubber Boots uh, for your podcast? Where did that come from? This is not a rapid-fire answer. Uh, can I, I'm going to give you like a 20-second answer. I'll condense the story. Yeah, sure. When I used to work in Ottawa, um, people used to call the sports room to get scores. Like it's before the internet. I'm dating myself as an old man. So this guy used to call, started calling me. And I pick up the phone. I go, hey, CJOH Sports. And he's like, hey, how are you? Are you wearing your wubble boots tonight? <laughs> and I'm like, what? Are you wearing your wubble boots tonight? So I, I hung up on the guy like about 10 times in a row. He called me every night. And finally, one night I was bored. And so I'm like, hey, are you wearing your rubber boots tonight? I'm like, yeah, I am wearing my rubber boots. <laughs> and so I started having these conversations with this guy who was a nut job. <laughs> and I told that story on another podcast. And I wrote about it in one of my books. And, and people started yelling at me on the streets when I... As much as, hey, James Duffy from TSN, I'd get, hey, are you wearing your wubble boots tonight? <laughs> and so uh, that's what we named the podcast, which is probably a horrible name because everybody thinks the podcast is about rubber boots, and it's not. But uh, there's the short version of the story. I think it's great. Definitely go subscribe to it, guys, if you aren't already. Uh, out of yeah. all the books you've written, uh, which one was your favorite one to write? Uh, good question. I, I got a stack on them here because they're my backdrop. But... Uh, Beauties was probably the most enjoyable uh, because it was just great stories. Uh, the guy on the left, sorry, this sounds like I'm using props now. Uh, the guy on the left was is kind of my stories in the business. And so that's probably was more the labor of love, but it was a harder book to write. It's always harder writing about yourself. But this was the book I kind of wrote so maybe my grandkids someday might want to read about their granddad. And uh, so that probably this one, I guess. But it was hard to write, like I say, because... Just hard to write about yourself. Easier to write about other people. Very, very true. Go grab your copy, folks. Uh, how good are you at actual hockey from 1 to 10? Three. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I like I, the honesty. I grew up in Victoria. Didn't skate till I was eight years old. And so from like Adam Pee Wee, I was, I was no good. I caught up by Bantam. Like sort of made rep my last year of hockey. And uh, and then I got interested in girls, so uh, uh, not very good. Uh, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made on air? Mm, 
or no mistakes at all. You're just a, you're just a professional. I've made a ton of mistakes, but the fact that I don't have a good answer to the question, I'm proud of. Uh, I've made a million mistakes, Luca, but I don't, I haven't made that one blunder. I think that lives with you the rest of your life. Knock on wood. Let's hope I don't do that before my career is done. That's good. Um, who's the funniest guy over there at uh, TSN? In real life, guy? Yeah. Oh man, another good one. Uh, Jeff O'Neill is one of the funniest guys I've ever met. He yeah. is, uh, you know, people love him on Overdrive. He's just, he's got great stories, right? From his time, and he's so self-deprecating. Jamie McLennan's real funny too. Uh, Bob McKenzie, Darren Drager, underrated funny guys. Yeah, I could see I that. On right, no tool are good dudes. Uh, you know, Jay. Uh, so uh, I'm lucky to be surrounded by a lot of funny guys. Uh, what's your go-to snack when you watch a game? Five power bars. My wife buys these vegan power bars that aren't as good as real power bars, but they're lying around the house, so I eat them. I was expecting chips or something, you know, not healthy, but you're going with power bars. I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. My, my wife is super healthy, so it kind of wears off on me a little bit. That's awesome. And last one here, uh, a little bit of a joke with this one, but who knows, is uh, Ben Stiller your long-lost cousin? Like, are you related in any way? Like, So, Luca, I used to get Ben Stiller when I was younger. I got Ben Stiller all the time. I guess probably when he was younger, too. And then I started to get... Uh, Seth Meyers a little bit when he was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and then I started to get Ed Helms, from Andy Bernard from The Office. Oh and yeah, that's what I probably get more now, which I don't see. I don't think it's really trending in a good way for me. <laughs> you know, I never get Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> I get Ed Helms and, and Ben Stiller, but hey, I'm comfortable with myself. You're a beauty either way. Thank you so much, uh, James. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This has been a tremendous pod just to pick your brain and, and talk about some great stories uh, over the years. Thank you so much, and I uh, hope we could do this again uh, sometime soon. Thanks, buddy. All the best. Like I said, glad you're doing this, and uh, thanks for having me on, and hello to all your viewers and listeners.